HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Our master cheesemaker program is one of the only two in the world. So it's no wonder every master in America has called Wisconsin home. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. Hello to everyone. I'm Louisa Kasdan, your host for Let's Talk About Food, a podcast devoted to first-person storytelling where food plays a pivotal, if not a starring role. Everyone has a food story. Food is at the heart of human connection, at the center of love, of ritual, of need and want, and most of all, food creates community. And community is what we crave. Today is a real treat for those of us with lockdown wanderlust. A married couple, Rachel Greenberger and Christiana Bonino. Rachel is a 2020 Eisenhower Fellow working on regenerative agriculture and food systems. She was one of the creators of FoodSol, a thought leadership initiative for food entrepreneurs at Babson College. Rachel also works with her husband, Cristiano, on his Italian tour company, Food Stories Travel. I love his voice and what he has to say. And couldn't we all use a little escape to the countryside of Italy right now? Spoiler alert, there's a lot of anchovies in this piece. I'm Rachel Greenberger. My name is Cristiano Bonino. Well, hello to you both. How, Cristiano, I understand that you live in Italy and you are by all accents and everything else in Italian. How did you and Rachel, how did you two meet? Well, it's quite a long story, but I'll try to. I make love it stories. Short. I love stories, not to worry. <laughs> me too, me too, me too. <laughs> to be precise, actually, I live, I would say, in two countries because I spend almost half of the year in Italy on business, traveling uh, for my company, and the rest of the year, not continuously in the United States. We met in 2007, and at the time I was working for an American company organizing cycling vacations, or let's say active vacations, for mostly for North Americans in Italy. I was working with them, I was guiding for them, I was a tour leader. As an Italian living in Italy, of course, had some advantages. Mm -hmm. And um, I was visiting the office of this company based in Arlington, Massachusetts. And this is how I met Rachel. And Rachel, what were you doing? That was my career. I was in the travel industry. I would sell 
the vacations that uh, Cristiano and his colleagues would guide in Italy. I'd lived in San Francisco before that and done travel sales for Bhutan and Mongolia and Nepal. And then when I moved to Boston, ended up at this Italian cycling and hiking touring company. He came and visited and the rest is history. Now I'm confused, Rachel, because my experience with you is with you as a serious food activist and organizer. How did you get from travel to food and back sort of into travel? I went to business school after that job where Cristiano and I met. So I arrived at Babson, which is very known for entrepreneurship, and really early on in the first year heard a professor say, most entrepreneurs are trying to solve their own pain point. So I wondered what my pain point was, and I had been very much politically active in food when it came to animal welfare in particular. I haven't eaten a land animal in probably 20 years and sea animals in maybe five, although I do cheat with garum, which is a really delicious Italian fermented fish sauce. That was my thing with food, really. And um, so I was in business school. I was trying to figure out how I wanted to be an entrepreneur and Cristiano and I were developing our relationship, and I really came to appreciate all the culinary, sensual, pleasure-related aspects of food, cuisine, history, um, all of that through Cristiano. I sort of ate to live and then had these issues that I cared about, and then in the process of our relationship starting and my being at Babson, those two things kind of started to fuse, and that's when we figured out that food in different ways was a path for both of us. Huh. Go back one second and talk to me about entrepreneurs and their pain point. That's not a that's not a phrase I know. We recognize it most readily with consumer packaged goods or food products or things that just regular people touch and feel and purchase and experience every day. If you listen to the origin stories of a lot of entrepreneurs, They're describing something that they wanted to exist that didn't exist, so they decided to go create it and have it be available both for themselves and for others who had that missing element. So you see it a lot with food products. Like, there's not this kind of candy bar on the market, so I'm going to go make it, or this kind of restaurant experience, so I'm going to go create it. I see. Where they see a need and they they respond to it that way. But you you didn't just go to business school, and you just didn't learn about food, you really became a a leading figure in the world of food, and you've continued on in that as um, an Eisenhower Fellow now? So the result of my, my MBA experience at Babson was me solving my pain point. I wanted certain opportunities to meet business leaders and people doing incredible things to improve the food system for people and animals and the land, and bringing those people together through Food Soul created what I wished had been there in school when I was starting out. The Eisenhower Fellowship, um, I'm studying regenerative agriculture and rural entrepreneurship. I was a 2020 fellow, and I was very lucky to actually be able to travel. Uh, Cristiano and I went together to Kenya and Tanzania to meet farmers and see conservation efforts that looked after farmers' needs as well as wildlife needs. Um, But we went in February of 2020, and we got back home on March 7th. So I'm the only fellow who traveled in my fellowship year, which is pretty pretty lucky. Under the wire. (laughs) Mm. Under the wire by about a week, I think. Yeah. Um, 
And Cristiano, you're an entrepreneur. Where did all that come from for you? And was food a driver or was food a byproduct? I became an entrepreneur by chance because uh, going back to the time when I met Rachel and I was working uh, for the company, I was explaining. At a certain point, I, I had been working with them uh, for more than 11 years. So I just decided I wanted to take a break. And uh, I spent almost half a year traveling and then exploring and then I, I just realized that there was uh, something that really caught my attention, or I would say something that I've always uh, enjoyed and, uh, and and I was continuing to enjoy. I thought, well, maybe uh, there's something I can do about it. And more specifically, it's not only the passion for food and for not being Italian, of course, uh, Italian cuisine to me is... Uh, quite flavorful and delicious, but I'm biased, I know that. <laughs> but, um, you know, starting with the pleasure of food, but also the, all these incredible opportunities that uh, I have in Italy to enjoy um, food in general, um, but also the passion for travel. And, uh, and in addition to that, also the opportunity to meet a lot of interesting people involved in the, in the food industry. Um, I just thought, I know people are interested in traveling and... Uh, I know my country pretty well at that point after almost, you know, 15 years uh, traveling. And uh, so I just decided to follow my dream at that point, a dream that I didn't even know about. But then I realized was something that was in my kind of daily life because uh, it's what I still enjoy doing. And so this is the way I started, basically. And it was kind of a, you know, definitely by chance. And if I can interject too, I mean, I think watching this whole thing unfold and Cristiano launch his company and grow it, he really communicates through food. He communicates to me through food. He communicates to our friends and family through food. And he is very excited about where things come from, traditional recipes specific to certain areas and parts of land and regions of Italy, where ingredients came from, the evolution of those ingredients. He loves to know these things and go deeper and deeper and understand. And then to share that with clients through his company or socially with friends and family so that while you're enjoying an incredible mouthful of something wonderful, you're also understanding the history, the roots, the origin, the place of that food. Take me a little bit on the journey, Cristiano. When you're with clients, you are, they're tasting something. You're looking at it and thinking, this is the soul of my country. Do you remember any stories of of yourself discovering food that surprised you? One of the main figures in my life uh, um, was my grandmother, and uh, I, I still remember her when she was cooking for the family. And I would say the women that raised me, so my mother and my grandmother, my two grandmothers, and also one uh, a neighbor of us that, uh, that has been also taking care of me. So these people have been quite important. I realize that now, but you know, maybe 20 years, I didn't even uh, have this in my mind. But I, I can have some recollections of uh, seeing my grandmother cooking. For example, there's one recipe from my region 
Piedmont, that is the northwest of Italy, not so far from Milan. We have this dish that is called uh, anchovies with green sauce, and it's a and it's a kind of an interesting recipe because, of course, there are, there is no sea uh, in in that region that is pretty much uh, full of vineyards and uh, lakes, but not definitely not by the sea. It's a quite a long story. <laughs> How anchovies ended up from the sea to the hills of, of Piedmont could be quite a story. But um, we have this recipe that features these uh, cured anchovies, the ones that are usually stacked in the jar in, uh, with salt and they need to be rinsed and then cooked and then served. I mean, this uh, filet of anchovies that are cured, so uh, not cooked, but um, they are basically served with some olive oil and uh, sauce, you know, we call it the green sauce. That is a mix made of uh, the soft section of the bread, some vinegar, some parsley, some garlic, egg yolk, and mustard sometimes. This recipe, it's, for example, what we uh, feature on our meals because, I mean, it's a typical recipe and reminds me of my grandmother. So it's something that when I cook by myself or even uh, when I'm with the guests, it really makes me feel that I'm uh, enjoying an experience that goes beyond taking people around and traveling with them. But it's really condensed in what has been my life and what continues to be. So this attachment to food that has a story behind and uh, reminds me of important people in my life. Well, it makes, it makes, I don't even like anchovies. <laughs> and now you make me want to try that dish. I don't know why I don't like anchovies. It's, you know, a prejudice, an old prejudice. But when people come with you on the trips, you have small groups, you have large groups. Um, yeah. What's a typical tour like? I would like to add, just to defend the poor anchovies, <laughs> we have a lot of customers. They, they, need, who, <laughs> they need friends, it's true. It's <laughs> no, you made me think that we, a lot, a major, the majority of, my, of, our, of our customers uh, think the way you think, because uh, I have this theory that I think in the United States uh, anchovies are not really served in the, in the correct way, because more specifically, in the case of anchovies that are under salt, you just need to rinse them. And, <laughs> and sometimes, if you don't do it properly, you can just taste something that is salty and not so pleasant. So, or even anchovies used as a flavor enhancer. You no, know, use the, for example, at the beginning in the sauce, they melt down wonderfully. And if it will balance with the rest of the sauce, with tomato, yep. for example, it's it's you don't even notice that. This is just my theory that probably you know <laughs> in talking about of anchovies. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to your question, I would say that it's pretty much a private tour. So people come to us and then they basically tell us they have some friends and they want to organize something to enjoy their their travel experience, their journey, I mean, in, in another country. Usually, you know, get group size is between four and 12, I would say. Oh, wow. So, cozy. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Cozy. And then... Um, so we do not uh, run any tours with uh, with buses, with big buses, and uh, we have a sag wagon that allows us to assist uh, tours that are by bicycle. Uh, so one guide is driving the van and one guide is biking, usually two guides per group, and then we switch every day. I like to say that our way of traveling also goes beyond that and can be also on foot. You know, because we do also some uh, walking tours or sightseeing tours. 
And least, but definitely not the uh, last, sorry, but not the least important is uh, uh, traveling at the table. Because like a travel for sure, uh, especially when you can connect some dots like uh, the origin of a recipe or uh, you know, the story behind it while you are at the table sharing a meal. So it's, uh, it's really a travel through time, <laughs> not only through your stomach, palate and uh, your heart. I want to go. I'm going to grab four friends and go. We'll be back with Cristiano and Rachel in a moment to hear more about how they combine their skills into complementary superpowers. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. In Wisconsin, cheese is our thing. Wisconsin is the only state in the country that requires a license to make cheese. From curds to cheddar, blue to brick, Wisconsin cheesemakers can do it all. We blend tradition with innovation to create an incredible variety of cheeses that you just can't get anywhere else. You've heard of a PhD, but have you heard of a PH cheese? Otherwise known as the Wisconsin Master Cheesemaker Program, This rigorous study of cheese is an elite accomplishment earned by only 80 talented cheesemakers in Wisconsin, and the program is only one of two in the world. Becoming a master cheesemaker takes 13 years and is basically like a doctorate in a specific variety of cheese, with intense requirements to succeed. Our master cheesemaker program allows makers to perfect both the art and science of their craft in a tradition so rich you can taste it. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. And we're back with Rachel and Cristiano. Rachel, do you go along on the trips? One of the things that's fascinated me since the earliest days of business school was this premise that the utopian situation is when you have a team with complementary skills. Not everyone's superpowers are exactly the same. Cristiano's superpowers are on full throttle when it comes to creating an experience, being with people, taking them around, explaining things to them, picking up on their energy. I mean, he's a really, really good guide. I do not have those skills. I am sort of a writer type personality. I like quiet. I like to be able to think. I like to be able to write out my ideas and organize them. So I'm very behind the scenes. Cristiano and I do an annual trip in the winter called Food in the Boot, where we are scouting for the upcoming year. We'll be everything on the trips is always hand tested, taste tested, you know, all the hotels, all the meals, all the restaurants and and visits and stuff. So there's no surprises for the guests. Um, so I do that. Pretty fun research. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. Um, but no, I don't guide and I don't go on tour. That's a very different skill set than mine. I understand that. What would you say your superpower is? I think that I connect ideas that other people don't necessarily connect. I pull things from very disparate sources and they make sense in my mind. Christiana likes to say connecting the dots. Um, So I think I connect some dots that are not obvious to other folks. And that has been useful to me. 
I spent most of the 10 years very focused on what I would call urban food because Babson's outside of Boston and it attracts students who tend to come from other metropolitan areas. And so the types of things that the students want to build into their own businesses are restaurants, food trucks, food products, consumer-facing tech, that sort of thing, things that they've directly experienced. And that makes complete sense. So the thing that pulled me more into agriculture was really this feeling of I want to feel like i belong to a piece of earth, that I come from a specific place. And a lot of farmers feel that. It's a very different frequency. And things that make sense to urban food folks don't necessarily make sense to rural food folks because it's just a different frequency. So I became more and more attracted to agriculture because I wanted to spend more and more time in nature and feel that I was connected to land and be with people who feel that they are connected to land. And that started to pull my attention towards agriculture. And then when I applied for the Eisenhower Fellowship and got it, that was just sort of the ticket to be able to go deeper into that research. Hmm. Um, And then the way that it bends back to my work with Cristiano is I feel very strongly that a lot of the literal diseases and the overall distress that people in modern, very urban contexts are experiencing has to do with a sense of dislocation. You can be anyone, you can live anywhere, you can do anything, people move around, but do you really belong to a place? And one of the things that Food Stories Travel does is it gives the guests a taste of what it would be like to really belong to a place. That exposure to that kind of an environment and that kind of a life might offer a little healing. It might offer a little inspiration to come home and say, how can I belong more to the place where I stand? Now that you've done this field research, you've done the academic research, what do you hope to do? The project I laid out for the Eisenhower folks when I was applying was essentially to take the community table, which is a design from Babson and Food Soul, Mm -hmm. um, which in fact was very inspired by Cristiano and my time spent in Italy around the table. The way that Italians socialize is around the table, which is handy for me because it's my preferred way to socialize. It's also (laughs) only about 100,000 years or more old. I mean, people would gather around a meal. Maybe there's some version of community table that could be of use to rural food entrepreneurs. So the research, a lot of it has been around trying to get inside the head, the day parts, the the rhythm, the needs of the rural food entrepreneur. What are they looking for? Where are they going to get it? I'm still in the exploratory phase of figuring out what is the pain point that the rural food entrepreneur is facing and how could I support something with that? I kind of get that. I have to say that a few years ago, I felt that every entrepreneur who contacted me had a new piece of software that was going to figure out how to shrink the distance between the farm and the consumer, Mm -hmm. but not so much between the farm and the other farmers. How would you propose to support them? I'm still figuring that out, to be completely honest. It's early days. The Eisenhower Mm -hmm. Fellowship, the commitment they ask for is that you build out a project over three to five years. So they understand that things move at the speed of relationship, at the speed of life. A quote I really love is Lao Tzu saying, nature never hurries, yet everything is accomplished. (laughs) And that's really true with innovation in agriculture, too. People who actually understand agriculture, not people who just understand technology and come from this, we can beta test it tomorrow. But people who understand agriculture know if you're testing a new input, technology, service, you're talking about several seasons. You're talking about years passing 
to see if it makes a difference, if it works, if it helps with efficiency. It is a very patient process. And my conversations with farmers and rural food entrepreneurs, I have to really chill out because <laughs> my urban sort of speed of talking and thinking and trying to get things done, it's just a whole other, like I said, wavelength. Do either of you see much commonality between the way the rural farmers in Italy work and the way the rural farmers in America work? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, well, in our case, we, we tend to visit small and mid-sized companies, so small food makers, basically, so small operations. I'm talking about cheesemakers, olive oil producers, could be also wine. Artisanal. So uh, artisans is basically one of the reasons for us, uh, meeting artisans, local artisans, is one of the reasons for us to travel. We just expose our customer to a world that is not, it's a kind of niche, no? Because uh, you have these kind of small communities that are functioning in the way that those artisans are not looking to scale up their product and open branches and subsidiaries. No, they are just making their living that way, uh, supporting themselves, their family, the community in which they live in. We find that very inspiring and um, it reminds me of uh, the founder of Slow Food, Carlo Petrini, that has been promoting a lot the concept of, of these communities that are uh, kind of independent. We have this exposure to a kind of world of small uh, food makers that is, by the way, beautiful to see and very rewarding and also delicious, of course. When Americans go to Italy and have this kind of experience, they come back thinking, how can I approximate that in my life? How can I bring that sense of connection between this beautiful food that the people who are making it or farming it or fishing, how do, how do I bring that into my life? And I wonder if your guests come back with ideas about how to make essentially their worlds more delicious at home and more soulful. In all our tours, we feature food. One very simple one, of course, is having a meal together. But we love to collect recipes. Of course, we can go online and we can find a recipe for uh, you know, lasagna or uh, bread. But what we like the most is to meet the people who make your food, taste it, and then uh, uh, take the recipe from them. Because... Uh, uh, this is just uh, you know, one way for our customers, for example, to be home, let's say, in the winter. And uh, you know, something that can remind them of their travel experience could be to find the ingredients and then uh, trying to cook the recipe that is, uh, you know, again, is like traveling in your kitchen. And uh, with also the kind of vivid images of the people that made that moment memorable. So I would say the inspiration comes uh, very much from the recipes, from the flavors, because also people discover flavors that they didn't even know about before. Like, for example, near the coastline in Italy, there is this wonderful dish that you don't really find here, not even in New England. And that is going back to uh, the topic of anchovies. Uh, <laughs> that is a fresh anchovies that are uh, just dusted with flour and then uh, deep fried. But if it's properly done, it's incredibly delicious and light. It's not a heavy fried type of food. But this is just an example. No? And, and people are exposed <laughs> to something new and could be many more, of course. One of the reasons why people travel to Italy 
it's because, of course, the food is uh, so different and can vary so much. <laughs> and if I can just chime in, Cristiano has collected hundreds and hundreds of recipes that are all on the website that are available and can be searched by an ingredient or a title of the dish. And it's not at all food theater. It's it's cucina povera. It's classic Italian cooking in the home or in the trattoria. Not a huge number of ingredients, not a complicated series of steps. So all of those are available. Yeah, if my idea of collecting recipes comes from uh, you know the fact that I've been enjoying not only eating but also trying to reproduce what we enjoy that is made by professionals. So again, on the web, you can find all the recipes you want, but the power of uh, the recipes, in my opinion, it could be the same for music. You know, when you, you can listen to the same song, but uh, the musician can make the difference the way the musician plays it. So uh, we really like the fact that there is a story behind that. It could be the person that gave us the recipe. So it's more personal than just reading uh, about the recipe online. And uh, so we find that very important. And our customers also seem to enjoy that as well. (laughs) I know a million different people who can make a recipe and it tastes nothing like what they're aspiring to (laughs) for it to taste. (laughs) People always come back from Italy in particular saying, the simplest recipe, they only use four ingredients. It was tasted outstanding. And when I make it at home, it just tastes flat. And there's skill that people don't understand about how to manipulate very few ingredients very simply and also the quality of the food that's involved. But the thing that captures me about what you're saying is the story. So if I've watched somebody make, for example, these fried anchovies, I'm always going to have that memory with me when I try to make them. And they will taste better. Are you having fun with it, Rachel? Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, I get to I get to work with my husband, hang out with my husband, go to Italy, eat amazing food. He's a very good home cook. He won my heart through my stomach for sure. So it's true. It's true. And Christiana, what's the next couple of years look like? Hmm. I know we can't answer that in this minute where suddenly everybody's anxious again. But what's your hope? Well, I've always felt like one of the artisans that we visit. I'm not really aiming a to grow exponentially or to grow so much. My goal, my my mantra in life is now because uh, I think that it's important to remember that, sure, tomorrow something will happen or something has happened in the past, but right now I want to enjoy what I'm doing. It's important to enjoy that experience because it's really a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Also because you will never see the same situation happening again because you will have different people, different seasons maybe. So it's a a kind of interesting chemistry. Of course, we're growing. We're growing simply because in so far, I mean, apparently (laughs) we've been doing things enough well that people are excited to come back and people send their friends. So it's incredibly rewarding because it reminds us every day that I don't want to brag now, but people definitely enjoy the fact that they see that there is this kind of a passion that everyone talks about, especially not only for Italian, but everybody's talking about passion. And it's, it's interesting how passion is really what drives us and what drives all the people who enjoy what they're doing. So this is reflected in whoever is around them. So we like what we're doing first. And then this is reflected in the people that are traveling with us. 
And it is very powerful. And I'm just lucky and happy to have this passion for what I'm doing. What happens when you two have dinner at your house? Who cooks? <laughs> Who eats? Do you actually eat, Rachel? That oh, was not clear to me. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, so what's funny is I was raised by a feminist of the 70s who didn't want me to learn to sew and do housework and things like that. So I didn't really properly learn to cook until I met Cristiano. And Cristiano taught me how to cook. So I'm an okay cook. And I cook some nights and I have my specialties that are not traditional Italian dishes. He is in charge of the pasta. But he cooks he cooks the really outstanding blow your socks off meals that we have. Best meal that you can remember? I am currently passionately in love with a recipe which can be found on foodstoriestravel.com. It's called spaghetti alla bri... No, say it, say it. Alle briciole. Say it with your Italian accent. Spaghetti con le briciole o alle briciole. So it sounds so banal, Louisa. It's spaghetti with breadcrumbs. And when he first told this to me, I thought, what? Because the Italians can put all sorts of interesting things on their pasta. And But then he made it, and now it's my absolute favorite dish. I'm crazy about it. So what do you do? You toast the bread, and then you brown it in olive oil, and that becomes part of the sauce? or Yeah. Well, first of all, it's a it's a very interesting recipe. And so it's a, it's a cuisine that is the result of a... a you know the the incredible incredible poverty. exactly so poverty and uh, so but incredible the genius approach of uh, to, to of cooking of our grandmothers as we say in Italy because in this case of course uh, it's uh, considering you know uh, stale bread I mean bread that you know can be no longer used but yes you you just basically crumble up the bread or you you could also blend it but I mean you can crumble it up and then um, uh, kind of kind of yeah fry more than fry, it's not deep fry you kind of saute in olive oil this uh, this bread that becomes crunchy and uh, another major um, very important ingredient is garlic and uh, and also another important ingredient that can be added or not is anchovies. So one fillet <laughs> of anchovy <laughs> could be added in the oil that melts down. And then uh, again, if properly handled, you will not taste anything extremely fishy. There will be something that will remind you, like umami, one of the mm-hmm. incredible flavors that kind of was you know, probably the, the the last discovered flavor. This is basically really very much just a few ingredients and in hot this peppers. recipe. <laughs> and chili pepper also, red flakes, chili peppers. I am hoping that this is on the website and that there's a video of you making it. I just love it. I think I could listen to you talk about recipes and talk through them forever. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just been great to talk to both of you. Cristiano and Rachel, I wish you the best. And uh, hopefully I'll see you one of these days in the Piedmont. That would be fun. Thank, Thank you very you. much. As we, as we say in Italy, grazie, buon appetito, and buon viaggio. <laughs> <laughs> and as we say here, right back at you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Craving an escape to Italy? Just visit their website, foodstoriestravel.com. Makes me want to pack my duffel. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our team, producer Rachel Gottbaum and sound engineer and composer Michael Moss of Soundscape Boston. You can find more of our stories at heritageradionetwork.org or by visiting our website, letstalkaboutfood.com or find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's Talk About Food is powered by Simplecast. 
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage.